So this morning, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start, start at verse 10. The title of today's teaching is called Spiritual Resources. And we're still in our series called The Secrets of Joy. And this is actually going to be the end of that series today. And as we wrap up chapter 4... Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church, and Paul will show us that believers can have contentment and peace and joy no matter what happens in our life. This joy and contentment comes from knowing Christ personally and depending on his strength in our lives. So if you have your Bibles, open them to chapter 4 of Philippians, and we'll be in verse 10. And it says this, it says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, apparently, the Philippian church had been out of touch with Paul during a period of time during his imprisonments and all these trips that he was taking and this long trip that he took to Rome. And Paul was saying there that he's going to rejoice, not because of the gift that he was going to get, but what he was receiving, but he was happy to see the church doing well and to see them willing to share. The church came together and reached out to bless Paul. Paul expresses his appreciation for the gift and their generosity. You know, I get the opportunity to go down into the uh, kids' wing, the children's wing, every now and then. And every now and then I'll go down there, and the kids are always have these little snacks that they eat. They have chips, and they have goldfish. You, who doesn't like goldfish, right? I like goldfish. And sometimes I'll ask the kids if they will give me one of their goldfish. And every now and then they go, no. They look at me like, dude, get your own, okay? These are mine. <laughs> But most of the time, they reach up with one and go like this. And they're willing to share. And that brings joy to my heart. Not because I wanted the goldfish. Because it encourages me when I see these little ones willing to share. The willingness of their hearts to share. And likewise, Paul was joyful to hear that the Philippians were willing to share what God had given them what he had blessed them with, they were willing to bless others with as well. It was just like the hearts behind their generosity. Just like these little ones, it isn't about that goldfish, but it was about the heart behind their generosity. The greater gift was the heart of them giving. And that was what was so exciting to me. And Paul gives us this great expression of thanks. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. We take delight in God and rejoice in him, not in our circumstances, but we rejoice in the God of those circumstances because he's with us. And we're comforted by his name and his presence. In Romans 8.35, it says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword Nothing can separate us from God's love. And what this means is that despite whatever it is that we're going through, we know that we're loved, 
that we're cared for and that we're watched over and nothing can ever separate us from God's love. And that's worth rejoicing in, isn't it? That's worth rejoicing. That's the wonderful spiritual resources that we have that give us joy and contentment in our life. It's the overruling providence of God, that providence, his divine guidance and care for each and every one of us that we have. And then in verse 11, it says this, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So I have a question for all of us. Are we content? Are we content through the soaring highs and the devastating lows in life that each one of us have? Because discontentment comes naturally. Contentment is learned. We learn to be content in our lives. And Paul had to learn to be content in all situations through Christ. So what's the secret? Paul says the secret. He says this because he speaks of this. He says that he counts all as rubbish and loss in order that he might gain Christ. Because Paul is seeking Christ and Christ alone in his life. All the other things in this world will fade away. And he's counting all the things in this world as rubbish. And he set his heart completely on pursuing Jesus Christ. And that is the key to contentment for all of us. Godly contentment isn't determined by our circumstances. It's determined by our relationship and knowing Jesus Christ. Paul was speaking of his present conditions. Because we can even have joy in the hardships as we learn and we develop our character as God works in each and every one of us. Paul here uses this word learned. And what that means, learned, was means by experience. He learned by the experiences of life. Being teachable each and every day. Learning something every day as we're in our walk with Christ. And this contentment is not something that just happens after we're saved. Paul went through a lot of suffering, didn't he? Paul went through a lot. And Paul had many experiences in his life in the service to Christ, and most of them were difficult. In Acts 9.16, it says this, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. How much he must suffer for Jesus' name. Paul was shipwrecked. He was in prison. He was stoned. He was beaten. He had so many hardships, they were almost routine in his life. So you could say that the circumstances that Paul went through taught him how to be content. But this would not be accurate because it doesn't show the whole picture because many people go through hardships in their lives, yet they never learn how to be content. The more accurate picture or statement would be that God used the trials that Paul faced to teach him about contentment. And that's what he does with each and every one of us. In James 1, chapter 1, verse 2, it says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Anybody do that? That's a hard one, isn't it? 
But because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That contentment that we have in Christ. Yet Paul still had to learn this lesson because he needed to be content. He needed to have peace while he was sharing the gospel through these difficult times. But Jesus, through his difficult times, Jesus had joy as he suffered and he died and he went to the cross for each and every one of us so we could have eternal life and peace. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We learn to keep our eyes off of the troubles and keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep our eyes above the circumstances and on the God of those circumstances. Jesus will give us the power to lay our personal needs aside and our concerns aside as long as we seek him. The possible outcomes that people have when they set their hearts on the things of this world, sometimes they get what they want. But most of the time they find out that once they get that, they're not happy and they're not content with what the world has to offer and therefore they continue to be discontent. And when we give up our self-interest and we become generous and have hearts that are serving other people with love and joy and kindness, we have peace and contentment in our lives. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Our hearts are content because we trust in God's grace. It's about God's grace, his presence. The contentment that we have in this life does not come from the world because everything the world has to offer is temporary. Everything. But what is eternal is God that's what we rejoice in. And that's what gives us contentment. And Paul found his contentment and his joy in the eternal spiritual resources that were abundantly provided through Jesus Christ. It's the riches in Christ is the real wealth and contentment that we have in this world is in Jesus Christ. The secret is drawing on Christ's power and his strength for our contentment. And contentment is not an escape from the battles and the trials that we face. In 1 Timothy 6, 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment in Christ is peace, joy, and confidence in the battle. It's confidence in those trials that we face that we can handle anything with Christ who is with us and we gain our strength from him. You know, happiness and contentment are not a goal to achieve, but it's something that we always pursue. 
And we find out that as we do that, we learn to be more like Christ. We grow to be like Christ. Being teachable to achieve our God-given goals, to do His will each and every day of our lives. I heard this story. It was about an old dog. And this old dog was watching a young dog chasing his tail. And the young dog stopped to rest. And he told the older dog, I believe happiness is in my tail. And if I catch it, I will have happiness. The older, wiser dog said, I caught mine once. And I found out that happiness is not in the catching. It's in the pursuit. Growing and learning to be like Christ. The pursuit of seeking God in our lives. Matthew 6, says, seek first the kingdom of God. That's what we need to do. Because sometimes people, they get what they want. They get what they're looking for. And after they've caught it, they find out there's no joy in it at all. And if a person chases after power and money and achievement or any kind of fame or anything that the world has to offer, they will soon find out that it cannot satisfy them. It, is, it, is, it isn't natural for us to be content because we're always chasing something. And we should be chasing our Lord to be like him, to be in his image God taught Paul to keep his eye on the prize, the salvation of Jesus Christ. Nothing else matters. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, it says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. God taught Paul to keep his eye on the prize. And I've told this, I've said this before, when we get to heaven, heaven is not the prize. The prize is Jesus Christ. That's the prize because Jesus comes first in our lives. Contentment doesn't depend on our circumstances. It's a mindset that comes from a relationship and a reliance upon God and God alone. His unfailing power, the unfailing power of God. And this is where our contentment comes from. It's knowing that God is with us forever and we live by the promises of his word, not by the explanations of the world. We learn to rely on God's promises to be content that God does all things well. And he does. Peace and joy are not dependent on our circumstances. No matter what happens or what God chooses to do, we can still rejoice for our hope and faith and our joy are in Christ alone no matter what our circumstances are. And then verse 12, it says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul had experienced all these different things. He knew what it was to have sorrow and what it was to have joy, to have plenty and to have nothing, to be in distress and also to be in comfort. He knew what it was to be content in all circumstances of life. And real contentment comes from our relationship with Jesus. God will supply all our needs because he knows what's best for us. 
Paul knows that God has not forgotten him in prison. And God doesn't forget us in our storms and our circumstances. And he knows that God cares for him even though he's suffering. And he knows that in the end, God is with him no matter what. And that gives us joy and contentment in our lives. He would say, I count everything as lost because of surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. This is the secret in Philippians 4.12, that verse. Contentment, the joy is in Christ. It's not in our conveniences. It's not in our health, although our health is good to have, isn't it? It doesn't matter. It's not in riches. It's not in fame because Paul had his priorities straight. He had them right. And he was grateful for all that God had done for him. He provided for him. And for us, we don't focus ourselves on the non-essentials. We focus and concentrate on the eternal Christ alone. The joy and victory of the Lord. Paul gives the Philippians and his friends and us probably one of the greatest affirmations found in Scripture in verse 13, and it says this, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Amen? We need the strength of Jesus Christ in our lives. In John 15, 5, it says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. With Jesus, we can do all things. Without him, we can't do anything. Life is not always, not always going to go the way that we want it to go, right? And that's where the promises in Philippians 4.13 shines through. Although we may face hardships and we feel empty inside at times, often the desires of wanting more, the better possessions, the bigger house, more money, is really a longing to fill an empty place or a hole in a person's heart. And if you're that person and you always want more and you can never be satisfied with what's going on, ask God to remove that desire from you. Ask him to satisfy you, to change your heart, the desires of your heart, to match his heart and his desires. He can teach you and he can help you along with that. Because with Jesus, we can do all things. Without him, we can do nothing. The Holy Spirit is our source of power. You know, when I first took the job as pastor here, um, I was challenged. And I'm still challenged every day, believe it or not. There's challenges that go on all the time. But this verse reminded me that Christ would give me strength through whatever it is that I was going through and the courage to do that. And I've been able to cope with the demands of the church and everyday living and making adjustments in my life with these words ringing in my ears. And the reason why is because I know I don't have to do it alone. I'm not doing it alone. Whatever I'm going through Christ is right there with me. He's going through it with me. If I remain in him, I will bear much fruit. But apart from him, I can do nothing. And as I get older, and some of us are getting older, we can find that promise that it strengthens us, that we have the strength in Jesus Christ if we remain in him. 
and that we'll bear much fruit. And we've learned to be content. Living by God's promises, by the power of the Holy Spirit, not what the world has to offer us. Because our God is bigger, He's better, and He's stronger than anything and everything that might come our way. And the good news for each of us is that Christ, that through Christ and His unchanging promises, that we don't do it alone. His presence, is, His presence is sufficient for all our needs. We seek solutions for our emptiness in many directions, and many of them or all of them are lacking. But those who go deep with their relationship with Jesus discover He is always better. The greater our intimacy with Jesus, the greater our contentment is. In verse 14, it says this, Yet it was good for you to share my troubles. It's always good for somebody to be with us during that time, isn't it? The Philippians were generous, and they supported Paul during this time. It was good for the church to share in his troubles. And what Paul was doing, he wanted them to simply focus on Christ. Wanted to focus on God. And we can hold on to both the truth that God is good and he wants us to be content in all situations. And the truth is that all believers should be generous and share and give in supporting God's church and the workers and the ministries of the church. In verse 15, it says this, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the earlier days of my acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. You know, this is a sad statement. Paul was appointed by Christ to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He established churches. He made disciples. He trained leaders. He wrote majority of the scripture that we read today through the Holy Spirit. And no church gave him support but one, just one. He even recalls the time years before when they had sent him help while he was getting the church started. Their love and friendship dates back to his first visit at Philippi. And they had always supported him. And they had always been faithful in that support. In verse 17, it says this, Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Paul clearly states that his pleasure comes from his knowledge that it is good for them to be so generous in their giving. Paul looked at their missionary gifts as an investment that would pay spiritual dividends to them. Paul is saying, I'm seeking that increase to you from the Lord. And when we give to those in need, there is not only a benefit to the receiver, but to the one that's giving as well. It was not the gift that was given, but it was the heart and the love and the devotion that Paul appreciated the most. It's our hearts that bless the Lord when we give. It's not about what we give, but it's about the heart behind the giving. In Colossians 3.1, it says this, Since then, 
you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. In Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God wants our hearts. He wants all of us, but he wants our hearts. That's where it starts. And the church had entered into an arrangement of giving and receiving. The church gave materially to Paul, and they would receive spiritually from the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, it says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. The church gives materially to others and receives spiritually from God. The church is rich in Christ when they share materially with others. God keeps the books and he will never fail to pay one spiritual dividend to each and every one of us. As givers, God promises to meet our needs. And Paul's excited about this because he is adding, he's saying God is adding to your accounts every day. Their generosity is evidence of God's inner work in each one of them. And it's the work inside of us as well. When we're generous, it's really giving to the Lord, whatever we give to. In verse 18, it says this, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Paul says that a generous gift is a sacrifice, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. When we support others, we show our love to God as well. And we also, when we lay that at the altar, it's giving glory to God. So I want us to just take a moment and look, and look in your own heart and evaluate your heart when it comes to your giving. Are you generous with your time, with your talents, with your resources? All that God's given you. Just take a moment and look at that. And when we're generous with the right heart, with these times, these talents, and these resources, it's a sweet-smelling aroma, and it's a sacrifice that pleases God for each and every one of us. What a blessing it is to know that our generosity is pleasing to God. In 1 Peter 2.5, it says this, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. We need to present the very finest that we have to our Lord each and every day. God was working within their lives, and God wants to do the same thing in our lives. God wants worship, and he wants the worship that comes from our hearts. But he also wants the praise of our lips as well. In Hebrews 13, 15, it says this, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips that openly profess his name. Amen? Jesus is our Lord. And God does accept our gifts of concern and involvement as a sacrifice pleasing to him. I just want to take a moment 
Have you shown that uh, gift of concern to anyone lately? Have you picked up the phone and called them? Have you texted them? Saying, I haven't seen you for a while, just checking to see if you're all right. That's a sacrifice of concern that's pleasing to the Lord. As Christians, we're so frequently reminded that we're to love as Jesus loved and we're to give as Jesus gave. But there's something more difficult for us to do than to give, and that's to receive, to accept and receive these gifts of love that people give us. I frequently found that it's easier to give than it is to receive as well. While reflecting on this scripture, if someone is to have the joy of giving, there must be someone else who is willing to receive the gift of love. Receiving their blessing to be blessed and let them be a blessing in their giving. Because sometimes we say, oh no, I can't take that. But what we've done is we've taken their blessing to you, their blessing of their heart of being generous to others, and we've taken that away from them. And we have to let their blessing be a blessing to us by blessing them back by receiving it. And that's what we want to do. And Paul said the Philippians' gifts, they not only helped him, but they also blessed others. So he was willing to receive that, to bless everyone. And he was also reminded that their gift was pleasing to God as well. What this means, the love that overflows from our lives, from Christ to others, is an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, Giving to others is our way of giving to God. It's a way of giving back to God. Generosity comes from our hearts. That's God working within each and every one of us. And then verse 19 is another great affirmation. Verse 19 says, And may my God meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus And a person does not need to fear the future. This verse applies not only to the Philippians, but also to believers today who work generously to support God's church and the work of the missions. God will richly take care of your needs. There can be no doubt about this. We can trust that God will always meet our needs. But I want to make one point here. This is not a promise of prosperity. This is not what this is saying. If you give this amount, you're going to get this much back. That's not what this is saying. And it doesn't say that you're going to be rich in this world. But what it does say is that God will make you rich in Christ. It simply says that God will take care of your needs. God is rich and he delights in giving good gifts to his children. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were to give the first fruits of their crops. It meant giving the best to God, but it also meant giving first before they forgot or used it all up. They gave to God first because God was first and a priority in their lives. Some people are worried to do this because they're scared that they won't have enough. Well, I can tell you and encourage you today, stop worrying. Trust God, he'll take care of you. 
Trust that this key of contentment comes from trusting God that he'll meet each and every one of your needs. In any and all circumstances, God will supply the courage, the strength to face these circumstances. And that's where the secret of contentment comes from. It's about going through these difficulties and these circumstances with the Lord because he's with you. This builds and strengthens our relationship with him because it's personal. And this is necessary in our lives. If we never walk through the rough times or the storms of life or we always run from them, our contentment will never really be in the Lord because he is with us during this time. And that's where we build that relationship and we have that contentment. This scripture should be hanging in our homes, in our offices, around our desks. I was reminded of this years ago when I was paying bills. And there was more month than there was money. Has anybody ever had that happen? More month than there was money. And I was reminded that God should supply all my needs according to the riches of Jesus Christ. And Cindy and, my, Cindy and I, that's my wife, have claimed this verse. And we've made the decision to do God's will in our lives. And Paul as well, even though he was confined in a prison cell, he knew that God would supply his every need. And God supplies our every need today. But it's one thing we need to make very clear. It's important and that we realize this, what this verse is saying. There's a difference between needs and wants. There's a big difference between the two. Corey Ten Boom, who suffered the loss of her family and was imprisoned in a Nazi concentration camp, said this. If you look at the, look at the world, you will be distressed. If you look within, you will be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you will find rest. You'll find that rest and that peace and contentment in Christ. To those of us who have this contentment because we trust in Christ in the storms of our lives and everything that happens in this world, we don't let the world dictate our peace and our contentment. It comes from Christ alone. And that's the reason why we're able to get to this place because you've experienced the struggles and the trials and life and the storms, but you've experienced it with God, with you. And he will supply all that is needed through the storms of life. Even in pain and suffering that seemingly cannot be corrected, he can redeem that as well. God has proven to us that he is good and he is faithful and trustworthy. And Paul was able to write this and live it out because he had a relationship with the Lord. And we need that relationship as well. We need to ask God to help us see things differently. We need to see the difference between our wants and our needs in life. And to guide us in the use of our time and our resources for the advancement of the kingdom of God for his glory. Most of us want to feel good, don't we? And we want to avoid discomfort and pain. And we may not get all that we want, but in trusting God, we'll get what we need. I think there's a song like that, right? Is it the Rolling Stones? You get what you need? Okay, sorry. 
But our attitudes and our appetites can change from wanting everything that the world has to offer to accepting Christ and his power to live for him alone. And that we'll find out one thing, that God's supply line is not cut off from our every need according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. God will truly supply all our needs in Jesus and many of our wants. We want stuff. We need Jesus. You guys heard us said, y'all need Jesus, right? Well, we need Jesus, each and every one of us. In verse 20, it says this, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul voices again his praise to the Lord. Paul sees nothing from his prison cell but the glory and the faithfulness of God. And this hymn of praise, as he closes out, it it's reminds of us of the Psalms 150. I have it on the screen. It says this, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and Dancing, praise him with the strings and pipes. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen? In his final greeting in verse 21, it says, Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus, the brothers and sisters who are with me sending greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. And as Paul has done in his past letters, he concludes this with his own handwriting. And he adds this last electrifying line there that says, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. This added note tells us that back then there were Christians in high places. It says that these officials were visiting Paul in Rome. The Christian message was penetrating the hearts in Rome. It was in Caesar's own household, right under his own nose. This simple statement is a reminder that in all things, and this is Paul's imprisonment, that God works together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things work together. In Hebrews 4.12, it says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It's about our heart condition. The good news was penetrating the hearts in Rome and the hearts here and now for each and every one of us. Verse 23 closes it out. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Finally, Paul would start his letter with grace and peace. And here he ends with a reminder that we need God's grace in our life. Paul's mention is this greater one who shared that cell with him, and that was Jesus Christ. The spirit be with you. Paul's every wish for his readers 
then and for now and all time is for us to experience the love of Christ and to have a relationship with him. As far as he knew, he was just writing a letter to the church at Philippi. But Paul's message is fresh and new for us today. And it is up to date. We need the strength of our Lord. To have contentment and joy in our life, we need to have a relationship with Jesus. And now that we've completed the book of Philippians, and it's exciting, a practical letter, but don't lose sight of what we've learned. You know, the best thing about the Bible isn't the learning the Bible, it's living the Bible. It's the transformation because this book was not meant for us to have head knowledge. It was meant for a transformation of our lives, that we would be more like Christ. So I have a few suggestions for you as we finish this. The first thing is to keep joy in your life. Put God first. Keep him first in your lives. And let the Holy Spirit renew your mind each and every day as you read the Word of God. Give of yourself generously, whatever it is. And have a spiritual mind that's secure, that has peace and joy. Ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what would you have me do today? How would you have me use my resources to be generous to the people that are around me? Keep our minds on Christ and glorify him always. And the last thing is guard your minds. Remember Paul's words in Philippians 4.8. It says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Keep your minds focused on Jesus. Remember that our joy is not meant to be kept to ourselves. The last slide up there is joy. Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. And at this time, if you don't have that contentment and you're tossed back and forth by the circumstances of life and you don't have any peace, you don't have that peace that goes beyond all understanding because we're trusting in the world and you're not trusting in the Lord and you have not received him in your life. I want to give you that opportunity this morning. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And God is so generous that he gave us his son. No matter what difficult or trying times that you're going through, and you realize that you don't have all that you want, but you know what you need, and what you need is Jesus Christ in your life. And if you don't have that relationship with him, and you're not content because you're chasing all the things of this world, and you don't have joy and contentment, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. I want to give you that opportunity to receive the Lord, to receive the joy of the Lord, and have contentment and peace in your lives. So if you could just bow your heads right now, and if that's you, and you don't have that joy, and you don't have that contentment, because you don't have a relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, just raise your hand. Or if you've backslidden and you've just not put Jesus first in your life 
and the storms of life are just throwing you all around. This is between you and God. Let me give you a couple more, 30 more seconds. But if that's you and you want to receive Jesus into your life today, just pray this prayer. Father, whether I'm well-fed or I'm hungry, whether I'm rich or poor, I want you as my Savior. I believe that you died for me on the cross and I repent of my sins. I turn away from the things that the world has to offer and I only want you. I need you in my life. I believe that you rose from the dead and I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want my faith to increase. I want to follow you faithfully and obediently. Thank you for salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.